Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bama. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. New foul. Locked and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. We just got done re-watching the spring game. We were both there at Folsom Field earlier this month to watch it. Uh, kind of refreshed our memories a little bit uh, and maybe see it from a different perspective, obviously, on TV. What, what were kind of your takeaways watching it for the second time? Uh, <laughs> they didn't show as much on TV as I was expecting, for sure. A lot of interviews. It's almost... Expected now for this team to have good talent. Uh, you kind of go out there and you're just like, wow, there's still a lot of guys who can play football. A lot of, a lot more size than we're used to seeing in years past. Speed. Um, you know, returning some guys on defense, but they made a point on the broadcast that there's a lot of guys who have played snaps, and I, I think that's true. I mean, you have like guys like Ryan Muller and Evan White, Derek McCartney, guys who aren't returning from last year's team necessarily as starters, but played a ton of snaps. Leo Jackson, same thing, a guy who's played a ton of snaps here. You have a lot of experience, which is, uh, you know, obviously you don't want to replace eight starters, but if you do, it's nice to have four or five guys that you you know how they're going to perform once you get them out on the field. This is going to be a pretty mailbag-heavy show. we got a lot of questions on the Stampy Elite message board. We will run through a little football topics, though, before we jump into that. And then we, of course, will get into some basketball stuff, kind of wrap up the 2016-17 season, uh, talk a little bit about the future, their trip going out to Europe this coming summer. Um, in terms of football topics, uh, let's start with the quarterback and, and Steven Montez. Obviously, his first throw of the spring game he'd like to have back was an interception by Nick Fisher. But after that pick, he completed seven of his next, next ten passing attempts and had a couple touchdowns. And what we heard throughout those 15 spring practices is that the confidence that you wanted to see him kind of build off of after his experience last year uh, really showed, and clearly he was a, a lot better this spring than he was a year ago when he took all those reps with Acefo out. Definitely. He looks a lot more comfortable in the pocket is the main thing that I took away from it. Obviously, he kind of got gained that comfort while playing in the games last year as well. I mean, he, the more reps he got, you could see the more and more comfortable he became out there. I think, obviously, he's going to get a ton this year. Um, Neuer's been impressive so far, but I don't really see him pushing him for the starting job as of right now. You kind of got a good snapshot as to what you can expect from Montez. He's going to make some mistakes, uh, relies on his arm talent a little bit too much at times, doesn't use his mechanics the way you'd want always. But on a couple of the throws, there are not a lot of quarterbacks in the country that can make some of the throws he hit during that spring game. So 
you're going to have a lot of really incredible plays, probably a couple you're going to wish that didn't happen. But, I mean, you know, he's going to be a first-time starter. He's still just a sophomore, so that's to be expected to some degree. Buffaloes get through spring practices with only two – I don't know. Do you say only two major injuries? Is that that's probably about a, a, a average number in terms of guys that go down. You're always going to have one major injury. It seems through those 15 practices, but they yeah. they, they get the injuries to, to both running backs, which you don't want it necessarily to happen at the same position. Kyle Evans and Donovan Lee. Uh, Kyle Evans uh, came by the media after he had that hip surgery, and he's very optimistic that he's going to play. And it sounds like. It wasn't a full hip replacement, so that's it's not like the Bo Jackson career-ending type thing. And with a hip, unlike a ligament, when it heals, it's healed. So you don't have to go through – I'm sure there's going to be a rehab process involved, obviously, because you're off your feet for a while. But it's not like uh, an ACL where you have to spend all these months strengthening it. So I, I don't know. It sounds like pretty optimistic that he could play this year. And then Donovan Lee, of course, went down with the, the – Broken fibula. He underwent surgery this morning, actually, Wednesday morning, and he was tweeting about his hunger this morning. So the surgery must have gone okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, a broken leg is obviously a severe injury as well, but he's got plenty of time to come back, so we'll see. Um, relying on Michael Addison's to stay healthy is probably not great, but I mean, if he does find a way to do it, uh, he's, I mean, you saw from the spring game, we've seen it in previous years, so he really is talented when he's healthy. Problem is when he's hurt, he's injured. So he's not, he doesn't play 90%, any of that stuff. So that's going to be the issue with him is how reliable is he going to be if he gets dinged up at some point. Uh, Bo Bisharat looks like he's lost a little weight. Didn't do anything in the spring game really to make me say he's ready to be our backup um, at this point. Uh, so you'd like to get one of those two back between Kyle Evans and Donovan Lee probably. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I mean, getting two injuries is not that big of a deal. The problem, of course, is that it's at the same position, one that we don't have a whole lot of depth to begin with. We'll have to see how ready Alex Fontenot is when he comes in for fall camp. Going into spring ball, we went position by position, and we wondered, had KB and Ento gotten recruited over at wide receiver, was he going to be able to see the field? Following spring ball, the biggest question I have on this entire team is, do you play him or redshirt him because he is so good now? I mean, he's not yeah. that he was bad before, but mm -hmm. he was kind of buried on, on obviously the most talented position in terms of depth on this roster uh, now all of a sudden he's made enough plays through 15 spring practices that you can't keep him off the field if you're going to play him yeah I mean if he doesn't redshirt he's definitely got to play snaps there's no doubt about that I mean, we've talked about a couple times in this podcast that three or four years ago he would have started so it's not a it's not a talent thing for him as much as we just have a lot of guys who play that position well um, ideally I'd love to redshirt him because we could definitely use him next year I don't know how interested he is in that at this point but I mean you've got you know he's he's gonna play but it's not gonna be enough snaps to where he's really helpful I think ne next year for us if you know he could be paired up with Juwan Winfrey and a couple of these younger guys and be a starter have play a lot more snaps so um, Johnny Huntley too is another guy that maybe could benefit from a red shirt this year uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out it's gonna be difficult to try to get all this talent on the field there are spring awards handed out right before the spring game. They do it the morning of the spring game, and it's voted on by the coaches. I'll run down the list really quick, and then we can kind of talk about some of these guys. Uh, just talking about KB on Ento, he was the most improved offensive back. You had Josh Kaiser as the most improved offensive lineman. Trey Udofia, the most improved DB. Drew Lewis, the most improved linebacker. Lyle Tuiloma and Frank Umu, co-winners of the most improved defensive lineman. 
And most improved special teams player, Chris Graham and Lee Walker. Again, this was voted on before the spring game. Chris Graham did miss two of his five field goal attempts from 32 yards out at the end of the spring game, so uh, didn't have the greatest day there. The Outstanding Toughness Award went to Jeremy Irwin, Outstanding Academics to George Frazier, and I'm missing one here. Oh, the Outstanding Leadership was a co-situation between Rick Gamboa and Philip Lindsay. To me, I look at this, and, and seeing Drew Lewis's name on there as a most improved linebacker is encouraging. Trey Udofi as well at defensive back. Definitely. Guys where you need some depth. Obviously getting Derek McCartney back, and then you're going to need one of those inside guys to fill the Kenneth Oldbody slot. Uh, maybe Addison Gillum as well. We'll have to see. So Drew Lewis being in there is important for this team's success defensively this year. I think McCartney can, you know, to some degree, he's a little bit different than Jimmy Gilbert, obviously, but replace that production in some facet or another. So uh, NJ Follow, too, is a guy who I think can help us outside those inside spots you have to be concerned about. So Drew Lewis has definitely got to step up. And Lyle Tuiloma is a guy that uh, it's encouraging to see his name on this list as well. He came in, and you heard that he was a beast on scout team while he was redshirting. But then last year as a redshirt freshman, didn't take that next step. And then part of that was obviously they had established guys there. But it seemed like maybe now it's starting to, to, to click a little bit for him. And with uh, Javier Edwards, the big man there, uh, even if he gets in much better shape in the coming months, you're still going gonna to need to give him a breather from time to time. We saw on one of those series where Steven Montez scored the rushing touchdown. I mean, he was almost, Javier was almost so tired he was going to lay down on the field and just give up. Yeah, at one point we were joking in the stands that he should just lay down and try to roll over people because <laughs> he wasn't able to stand up by the end of that drive. I mean, no real surprise, I guess. You know, coming from a different part of the country, the altitude is going to be an issue for anybody, let alone someone who's 360 pounds. He, so, he wishes he was 360. Yeah, right, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, no surprise that he's going to have to deal with some conditioning stuff. I think a lot of the new guys are going to have to deal with some conditioning stuff. Uh, the spring is a good time to be out of shape. So, you know, if it's an issue during fall camp, then, then we'll really have to be concerned about it. We'll see how far along he goes there. Akil Jones is pretty jacked in terms of his strength, but I did see him with his hand on his hips a lot throughout that spring game as well. Another guy uh, that will benefit uh, from, from the program with Drew Wilson here in the coming months. There were those spring experiments we talked about during our mid-spring ball show, and it looks like a couple of them are going to stick. Brett Tons to offensive guard, and then George Frazier to the D-line. He was basically exclusively on the D-line, if I remember right, throughout the spring game. And then... Uh, Donovan Lee was was tinkering with cornerback, but he went back to running back before that injury. The other one, quietly, Michael Matthews moved back out to outside backer and seemed to have a strong spring. They have a lot of depth at that outside backer position. I think it's going to be hard for him to get on the field, even though he has gotten better, it seems. Yeah, it seems like a little more of a natural fit for him. He's pretty undersized to be playing on the D-line, so uh, hopefully that works out for him a little bit more. I agree, though. He's not a guy that I expect to play a ton of snaps this year. Uh, Frazier, it might be a good transition because he had such a tough year on offense. Um, and he was, you know, he obviously had done the defensive line thing once before. And without very much practice, he was uh, an impact guy there for them. So hopefully with a full year of defensive line practice, he could actually be someone that plays a bunch uh, depth-wise for them. You mentioned Michael Atkins earlier. Are you optimistic at all that he's going to be able to contribute in 2017? Do you, after watching him in that spring game and kind of seeing the glimpses of, of why we almost fell in love with him earlier in his career at CU, in the spring game he averaged nearly two yards better than any other back. It was a small sample size, just 10 carries. But 
still, I mean, you can make an argument he still is their most talented running back. And, and I don't mean that as any shot towards Philip Lindsay, but just when Atkins is on, he's really good. Can you trust him at all? Uh, yeah, I think you could trust him a little bit. Um, he's not going to be your starter, so he doesn't not necessarily have to be like fully healthy for every single game, especially if you get one of the two injured guys back. But I hope they use him in spot situations a little bit more. Um, maybe spell him for a drive, let Phil take a break somewhere along the first or second halves. Because if you give him three or four consecutive runs, he usually gets pretty comfortable. His first cut is really impressive. He has a knack for getting those extra three or four yards that most running backs aren't going to get on the inside. So for me, if he can find a way, I mean, it's his last year, you know. he's He doesn't have a choice. He can't sit out because he's injured anymore. Otherwise, he's done for his career. So maybe it wakes him up a little bit and he can play through some of those nagging injuries and be an impact guy for us. They announced the spring game attendance at 6,250. You buying that? No, uh, but it, it was more than last year for sure, which I think is the most important thing you have to look at. Um, I would say it was somewhere between four and five, probably. Uh, kind of People kind of trickled in uh, throughout the drills portion until the um, actual scrimmage started. Yeah, I would say it was probably south of 5,000, but north of 4,000, that would be my guess. Before we get into our mailbag, uh, Let's look at in-state recruiting a little bit here. The Buffs have already landed three of the top, what I project as the top six ranked in-state prospects from the class of 2018. Of course, defensive standout Ray Robinson from Highlands Ranch was first. Then quarterback Blake Stenstrom from Valor Christian jumped on board. And then slot back Max Borhe from Pomona joined the Buffs commitment list. So now you look at that. They got those three guys on board. Now they're recruiting Fort Morgan's Trey McBride, a tight end guy, really hard. He was, he's been on campus twice in the last month or so. Uh, Cherry Creek's Dimitri Stanley, they're, they're after him hard. He just picked up an offer from Nebraska, a guy that could play on either side of the ball, a cornerback or receiver. Both those guys seem to be pretty interested in the buffs. And then, of course, there's outside linebacker Adrian Jackson at Mullen, who missed, uh, slept through his uh, alarm and didn't make it up uh, for his previously scheduled unofficial visit up to CU, but they're certainly going to keep recruiting him as hard as they can. And I wouldn't hold out a ton of hope on him. I think there's a chance he goes out of state, but you could theoretically, by the end of the summer or even in the next, during the spring, have five of the top six ranked in-state kids from the class of 2018. Yeah, it definitely seems like Colorado's a cool place to go again. Uh, for a while there, we weren't getting anybody from the top six, or if it was, it was the fifth or sixth ranked guy from in state, so it's nice to see a few of these guys stick around. Um, yeah, Adrian Jackson, I don't think I'm going to hold out a whole lot of hope for him right now. Uh, he seems to be pretty set on going out of state, but we'll see. I mean, you never know how it plays out. Sometimes kids change their mind. I mean, sometimes people, you see a couple of the Mullen kids last year had a bunch of early offers that they didn't end up having towards the end of the year, so we'll see how it plays out. I think Jackson's good enough, though, that he's going to have a lot more options. Yeah, we'll see if you sleep through your alarm on an Ohio State visit. Yeah. They're going to cut you pretty quick from their, their, their board there. So we'll see how his recruitment goes through. Again, uh, just one day he didn't make it up there. I, I'm, I'm not going to be petty enough to stop recruiting a kid that talented because of that. Would you? Uh, you'd like to say no. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we, they deal with that more than people realize. You know, like that one obviously comes out because he's a big name and he's a Colorado kid. But I would imagine that there's countless times a year where someone's supposed to show up and they don't. I think that's just the nature of teenagers. So, There's some others to watch. Legend defensive back Tate Wildeman picked up an offer from Arizona State last weekend. Regis Jesuit has a pass rusher. 
Jake Heimlicker, who is, uh, I think he had 21 sacks last season. He's got uh, some early offers, including one from Cal. Arapahoe offensive lineman Blake Corrette, who Kyle McCall did an article on this week. And then legend safety Chad Muma. He's got an early offer from Colorado State. It's, it it uh, happens often where you go and look at the in-state guys like right after signing day for the previous class, and there's yeah. only a handful of guys, and you think it's going to be a really weak in-state class. And then as you kind of progress towards the spring evaluation per- period, more of these guys like Wildeman kind of emerge. It's kind of the opposite of a year ago when everyone was hyping up the cl- in-state class of 2017, and a lot of those Mullen kids just didn't really – keep mm-hmm. blowing up the way a lot of people expected. I think this class is sneaky deep, whereas last year we thought it was going to be really deep and it didn't end up being that. Yeah, depth-wise, I think it's pretty solid. There's a lot of Division One players. Um, Top-end talent-wise, though, I think it's a little bit behind last year's class and a few of the previous ones. You don't have a Dylan McCaffrey. You don't have uh, Jake Moretti. I mean, guys who are going to be yeah. really, really highly ranked. That's true. What... Uh, of those other guys that I mentioned, any of those guys standing out to you? Or, or are you okay with Colorado kind of taking their time and not feeling the pressure if an Arizona State offers a Wildeman to go, okay, we got to yeah, offer right now? I haven't seen enough of him to really say, honestly. Um, I know, the, I mean, the McBride family has had a lot of success at college despite being under recruited. So that's a guy that you obviously you have to have some interest there because, I mean, his brother. Was no one, no one offered him except for Colorado State, basically, and he played as a freshman and led their team in sacks. So, and they, they have some athleticism in that family for sure. That's a guy that you have to have some interest in, definitely. But beyond that, you, I mean, you just watch him play their senior years. So we've been able to get guys late in state um, throughout the years. So, I think they'll still have some interest in us if, if we hold out and kind of go after our big targets in other states that are obviously a little more talent rich than Colorado. We could have probably led the show off with this. This is big news. The multi-year contracts limit is going to go away in August. Governor John Hickenlooper signed Senate Bill 17-041, which allows for more multi-year contracts in the athletic department. Obviously, they had been limited to six in the past. So you had the AD, the football coach, the basketball coach is taking up four of those. And then there was a time I think the volleyball coach was under one of them. So you only had one for one of your coordinators with football. It definitely levels the playing field now in terms of trying to keep assistant coaches. And right. I don't think you're necessarily going to start signing all these guys to, to five-year contracts. But if you're, you have a really talented guy on your staff, at least now you have a fighting chance to keep him here. Yeah, I, mean, I would think that a few of the guys on the staff are going to get two- or three-year deals um, right away. So we'll see how that plays out. And I think it's going to be big in terms of you know nationally relevant programs don't have to deal with this issue so it, it helps us in terms of keeping our you know the, the guys that we want to keep on this staff long term it makes it easier what do you think for just the assistant coaches probably a two-year deals across the board and then maybe coordinators a three or four-year deal if you were Mike McIntyre yeah. how would you handle that yeah I mean I think you're going to see your coordinators get at least a three-year deal most of the assistants I would assume get bumped up to two-year deals maybe some of the newer guys stick stick with one until you see how they play out but uh yeah, I mean, as, as many of them as you can, uh, sign them up long-term. I mean, it doesn't hurt. And lastly, before we get into the, the mailbag, sad news, obviously, with Ralphie Four, uh, who is known as Rowdy. Uh, she passed away on Sunday, just a month shy of her 20th birthday. 1998 to 2008, she was, uh, she was active, Ralphie. And I know you had put out a couple tweets. That was the 
when you were in college, that was a Ralphie that uh, you rallied behind as a fan. And so, yeah, uh, I mean, that's kind of seeing that for the first time is what makes you fall in love with the University of Colorado. Uh, at least that's how that's how it was to me. So she'll always have a special place in my heart. Nineteen seems young, you know. I mean, most people you know obviously get longer than that. Animals not always the same case, so it's tough. It reminds you a little bit of a dog. I mean, it's you, yeah. fall, you fall so quickly in love with those those pets and people that are close to you. It's crazy how quickly sometimes they move on. It feels just like yesterday too that Ralphie Five got loose during the spring game yeah. on her first run and. Uh, we could tell from the jump that she had some spunk to her, a little character. It's been she's been running for a while now. It's, yeah, I think this is going to be year ten, which is crazy. She seems like she's got a lot of life left in her, though. I would be surprised if they uh, introduce a new Ralphie here in the next, I don't know, handful of years, wouldn't you? Yeah, we haven't heard anything. I mean, they usually are active between ten and fifteen years, so she's kind of getting on, getting there. But uh, hopefully, she makes it a little bit longer. She's definitely entertaining for sure. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Nippus13 asked from the spring game, which defensive back performed the best out of Jewel Meese, Wigley, and Eudophia, in your opinions? I choose them because they seem to be on the field with the ones the most. If I am missing someone that could earn that spot across from Oliver, please throw them in as your pick. Lastly, if the season started tomorrow, what five guys do you see starting in the secondary? You can lead off your toddler if you'd like. Um, I would say Eudophia was the guy that was out there the most uh, for me. Joel Meese is right there with him, though. Well, Wiggly looks like he's still swimming a little bit. Um, but, I mean, that's good talent depth, though. I mean, he's a guy that would have started for us in a lot of years past. So if he doesn't start, I mean, you have to feel pretty good about the guys they have in the program. Udolfia certainly looks the part. He's gained good size. Um, Jewel Meese, again, pretty lanky guy. Uh, love his swag, obviously. He's, feel, he's confident out there for sure. So no matter who ends up taking that second spot, I think we're going to feel pretty good about our position. And if they're struggling or injured or whatever it may be, someone's going to be able to step right away and fill in their shoes. Yeah, I, I, we got a lot of questions about just kind of the spring game in general, and I would say it's such a small sample size that I'd rather yeah. kind of use what I saw with my own eyes at the spring game and then what I heard from basically every interview. I asked players and picked their brains and, and coaches too, just trying to figure out who are the guys that were really standing out. So a lot of those impressions make me feel like Trey Udofia is the leader in the clubhouse there, but I definitely don't think it's it's a big lead by any stretch. Uh, I like Jewel Meese, his physicality, his swagger out there. You kind of alluded to this good problem that he might potentially not be a starter on your football team this year because, again, talent-wise, he would have started for any of those teams uh, prior to last year for the previous decade, really. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the starting secondary, Oliver is, is a guarantee. We both kind of think Eudophia probably is a little bit of a leader right now at that other spot. At uh, safety, I think you got to go Afalaba Laguna, Nick Fisher, and then Ryan Moeller. And that buff backer slash on passing downs, you're going to bring the nickel back out. And it sounds like right now Ronnie Blackman has got the lead slightly over Dante Wigley in that role. Yeah, Blackman looked good in the spring game. Uh, physical, despite obviously having some physical limitations in terms of height and just overall weight. He's pretty uh, small in stature all the way around, but not afraid. Uh, really quick, so that nickel, you know, kind of interesting there. I don't know if they'll use him so much in – 
rushing situations. So they'll probably use a buff backer, as you mentioned. In those type of spots, you'll see Evan White, Ryan Moeller. I think Ryan Moeller kind of rotate around. The staff seems to love him. I think he's just going to – he might not necessarily be a starter in quotations or however you want to put it, but he'll be out there for a ton of snaps. What's your biggest concern there? For me, it's Laguda just in pass coverage and then maybe the inexperience with that other corner. Yeah, I mean, for those are probably the two the two that you have to focus on the most. Um, you never know, though. I mean, it seems like a lot of these secondary guys, the light bulb always comes on as a senior, so maybe Laguda can get there too. I mean, you feel really good about him in rushing situations. Uh, he's a physical guy. You're not worried about him you know, coming up lame on a tackle. He's going to hit you as hard as he can. Uh, but, yeah, the pass coverage thing, he's going to have to get a little bit better at that this year. I think even Isaiah Oliver, just is he going to? he's not going to be Cheeto probably. So um, are they going to take shots at him? He's obviously the number one corner on the team, but is he going to be 100% reliable? We'll just have to wait and see. Ravens0811 asked, do you see more four or five wide receiver sets with our current situation at running back, having only three scholarship backs in the rotation? Uh, we've mentioned Kyle Evans and Donovan Lee probably back in the mix. You bring in Alex Fontenot. The depth is not as scary as maybe some people uh, think it might be. You saw a lot of four wide receiver sets last year when they had Philip Lindsay racking up 1,200 rushing yards. So you're going to see a ton of that. I don't think you're going to see a lot of five receiver sets out of this offense. Yeah, probably not a whole lot of five. Um, Philip Lindsay does have a lot of success when everybody's spread out, though. Uh, he seems to do really well in space. Uh, so I would expect you'll see a ton of that regardless of what our depth looks like this year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think if we started the season tomorrow, depth would be an issue at running back. I'm not ready to say it's uh, an issue for fall. Uh, we'll have to see how everything plays out. Bryce Winnie asked, we know that Tim Lanott might move to center, but what are the chances he moves to wide receiver? He uh, made some slick moves out there, maybe a wrinkle in the offense for a big man touchdown. You know, it's unfortunate that he's not a tackle. You get the tackle eligible play. I think if you move Timmy Lanott out there, unless the offense just isn't, or the, I'm sorry, the defense just isn't paying attention, they're going to realize something's up a little bit. But the, the hands, the soft hands, is really impressive. And Tim actually told me that he used to play baseball, and that's where that came from. You could tell he was really happy that he got that moment <laughs> yeah. to show off a little bit of athleticism. I don't know if putting him up against Lyle Tuiloma is fair, though, <laughs> to be honest, to Lyle. I'd like to see him go up against someone with a little more of a shot of moving laterally. We'll see. Chris Malumba, maybe. Put him okay. against that. If he beats Chris Malumba, then maybe we can talk. Yeah, he's not a tackle, so... Unlikely that you'll see that happen. I would be down for a fat man touchdown this season, though. Uh, everybody's always the first of last season was a fat man touchdown. Yeah, but that doesn't count. He fell in the end zone because you didn't get to I, see him run. I, I want a real play. Okay. <laughs> Saint Pete Buff had this to say: You and Maximus mentioned in the post spring game wrap up. This team seems to like and care for each other. In your opinion, is that something that was truly lacking prior to the 2016 season? It's great to hear they are buying in and have each other's back. It's one of those things that can truly make a difference. Was it lacking prior to the 2016 season? It's not that they didn't like each other. It's just when you lose a lot of football games, uh -huh. it, you, there's going to be a little finger pointing. There's going to be some frustration. And there's, you know, there's always clicks on a football team, even if you like each other. That's just kind of the nature of it with the 105 guys and positions and offense, defense, and all that stuff. To me, what's more important than the we like and care for each other is the accountability. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing you heard last summer going into last season, the, the, the senior leadership stepping up. And then you hear guys like an Afalaba Laguda really kind of taking that torch and trying to carry it going forward. I think that's more important than let's hold hands and sing kum kumbaya. 
For sure. Um, I think it is important, but it does mostly have to do with winning and losing. Uh, really liking each other doesn't really help you win games, I guess is how I would put it. But it can help you lose games if, if a team doesn't right. get along. So it's a way that a team can go from being really talented to struggling. But liking somebody doesn't make you better. Uh, winning has a lot to do with that. Now, I will say this team does seem to get along and want each other to be successful. Uh, they hold each other accountable, as you mentioned, which is is important to maintaining success, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, there are always guys that don't like each other on a team. Uh, you know, I think the continuity of the staff has a lot to do with it as well. I mean, if you have guys who are brought in by a staff who gets fired, there there's always going to be some battles back and forth between the guys who are part of the new staff as well. So right. now that McIntyre has been here long enough that all of these guys have been brought in by the same staff, I think that matters too. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, in addition to losing, I think the coaching changes made it hard for, for those previous years to really gel together the way you want a football team to. Uh, good point there. Maximus Buff had this uh, question. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how the new defensive staff performed in their first spring and how the defense looks now and will change as a result of the coaching overhaul. I use spring ball more as uh, the time to analyze risers, fallers in terms of players. With coaches, especially a new staff coming in, it's a proof is in the pudding type of thing. That's not something I, I think you can really figure out after spring ball, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been here long enough. I mean, we saw from the spring game interviews that the guys don't even necessarily know the players' names yet. Um, so, you know, that, we'll give them a little more time to get ready there. Um, they're totally different personality-wise between Shadon Brown and DJ Elliott. I kind of like them in their role. Shadon is going to be the guy. I mean, he's definitely the more fiery of the two, for sure. Uh, I really like what he's going to bring to the secondary. They had a lot of swag on this team the last two years as they were getting better. Um, I think a lot of the young guys feel really confident that they can replace those talent. Um, I think there's a good chance that we're going to see a lot of guys sent into the NFL from our secondary in the next couple of years. So it'll be fun to watch. Call Me Coach B asked, after going through spring, which of the new coaches do you think bring the most to the table? Also, how does chemistry appear to be within the staff? The last part of that, that was one of the biggest things that Mike McIntyre was looking for in these coaching searches was, are you a good staff guy? You heard him talk about that with all three of the defensive hires was, these are guys that they vet, they were vetted, and it seemed like at all the different stops they were at, the other coaches like being uh, around them. Yeah, definitely. And from what we've seen so far, that's certainly the case. I mean, Shadon Brown is super active on Twitter, They're going back and forth with the coaches. Uh, DJ Elliott seems to be... Definitely a team-first kind of guy. Um, he's not going to be overly dramatic one way or the other, uh, making sure people are in the right spot. Seems more like the X and O's, you know, he's down to the nitty-gritty type stuff. He's not going to be causing any divisive strain in the coaching staff ranks, I don't think. So, yeah, from what we've seen so far, which obviously has not been a lot, we weren't allowed to see a whole lot for spring ball this year. Everything seems to be coming together pretty smoothly. Moving along here, Ruffy's running based on what you've been hearing throughout spring practices uh, versus what you saw in the spring game. Were you surprised by anything in the spring game? What were your biggest takeaways from the defense? I don't know if anything surprised me. Maybe Tyler Lytle's poise for somebody that, I, like I said in our post-spring game wrap-up, that this is a guy that should be planning his prom right now. Uh, for him to be able to kind of take a little bit of pressure, I know it's going against third strings and all that stuff, but I just like the way he, he kind of keeps the plays alive and looks downfield and doesn't seem rattled by things that, you know, frankly, a kid his age probably should be. Um, I'll say Jalen Jackson being suited up surprised me a little. 
figured they'd be a little more cautious with his recovery. Um, Dante Sparaco, we all, I, we've talked about this before, that he's a freak, that it was going to be physically ready. But standing there on the football field, that is a huge kit. <laughs> um, so to see him, I think he's definitely 100% confirmed physically ready to play. So those are the two things that I really noticed. Uh, the spring game is a little bit overrated in terms of learning things, I guess you could say. It's pretty vanilla. They're not doing anything too crazy in the spring game. Watching practice is certainly a way better gauge of what's going on in terms of the team chemistry, um, who's playing where, that kind of stuff, who's getting the scheme, who isn't. So, yeah, I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt a little bit. You don't learn a ton from the spring game. Ryan Konigsberg, our friend, always calls the spring game eggnog. He says it's, I'm trying to remember exactly how he explains it, but it's something about like how every year around the holidays you think it's going to be really good, so you try it, and it just, it's just meh. It's not, <laughs> yeah. not too great. It's a pretty good analogy. Taser94 asked, what did you guys think of Neuer and Lytle? Should be great competition for the backup quarterback this fall. I kind of maybe jumped the gun with my Lytle talk there. What What are your thoughts on Sam Neuer? Love him. Super accurate. Uh, I Definitely feel really confident in our quarterback room right now. Uh, if Montez was to get hurt, I think Neuer is going to be ready to play this year, honestly, even more ready than Montez was last year. Uh, a little bit more natural as a quarterback. Montez obviously has all the physical tools, but Neuer just seems really poised. He just he, He's just a guy that you know he's going to go out there and get his job done. I was actually kind of surprised. Brian Lindgren told me that Sam Neuer is the fastest out of those quarterbacks and you saw a little bit of it on film, but I would have guessed Montez with that long stride probably had the most dangerous quality in terms of with his legs. I uh, so hear him say that about Neuer intrigues me even more about him just because of how accurate he is. He did have a couple picks and seven-ons, but was uh, really precise when they were doing the goal line one-on-ones. And then during the scrimmage portion of the spring game, he was six for six, so he had a nice day for sure. Olai Buff asked, can you give us an evaluation of middle linebacker play during the spring game? How do they look relative to last year? Also, how did the new guys stepping in look? What are their strengths as far as you can tell? Thanks, guys. Well, the first thing that I'll say is it's tough on the linebackers because you're not allowed to hit the quarterback, and they were short on running backs, and you could tell they were asked to not dole out a whole lot of punishment to the running backs as well. I mean, Phil only played one snap. There was, they stopped a couple plays before they even tackled guys. Um, so it's hard to really gauge middle linebacker play. I mean, you did notice that Akil Jones was a little bit winded. You don't want to see that for sure. Drew Lewis has looked good to me in fall camp last year while playing limited last um, this past season as well. And he looked good in the spring game again. I think he's a guy who's going to step in right away and uh, be a useful contributor to this defense. So those are the main guys that i noticed so far. The Real Mizzou buff asked, what are your thoughts on the defensive line from the spring game? How did Javier Edwards look and compare to expectation, any player stand out, expectations going into fall. Thanks. Uh, with Javier Edwards, he definitely uh, is as advertised in terms of his size. Yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about that. Malumba as well, uh, huge guy. It seems like he's got a little bit of work to do in terms of getting ready for this level, but uh, massive frame um, from both of those kids. Uh, again, you're not really allowed to rush the passer and do all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of just standing up at the line of scrimmage, so it's hard to really gauge what a lot of these kids are doing. But you you know what Leo Jackson's going to do every time out. Tim Coleman has kind of become that, when healthy, that steady guy as well. So, um, you know, it, I don't think we have any explosive playmakers there. Shamar Hamilton, obviously he's a linebacker, but he flashed to me a couple of times in spring game, got to the passer, looked like he's a really good athlete. We got one more question here about the D-line. 
TKH11 said, after watching the spring game, I have a hunch the success of the defensive line may depend a great deal on players that have been here for at least a couple years. I saw that Umu and Tui Loma shared the most improved defense alignment award. What are you hearing about these two? Lopez looked like the real deal. What is being said about him? Lopez, I hadn't really heard anything. There was, I think he made one play in, in the spring game. Yeah, he made a play towards the end there for sure, but wasn't getting a whole lot of snaps early on in the scrimmage when most of the ones and twos were out there. Yeah. I do I, I do think it is a lot of guys that have been in the program, like an Umu with... Uh, that are going to step up Leo Jackson, of course, and you mentioned Tim Coleman. Those, those are going to be – Jace Frankie is a guy that some people overlook, uh, kind of a, a utility guy. He had played as uh, Josh Tupo's backup in pass rushing situations at nose tackle. He spent basically most of spring at end just to get more reps and learn more at that position. Those are the guys there. The, the good thing is that with this defensive scheme – their responsibilities a lot of times is just taking on blockers. And I think you look at the personnel and I don't, again, I mean, we all understand that the defense is going to take a little bit of a step back, right? but there's enough serviceable guys in there. I don't think the drop off is going to be off a cliff or anything. Definitely. I think you have a steady Eddie type defense. Um, you'd like to have a few more playmakers probably. Um, I think the secondary masked some pass rush issues for the team last year. We'll have to see how good the secondary is this year, if they can do something similar to that this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to take a step back, probably a pretty significant one, uh, but the offense should be that much better. So uh, if, you, if your expectation is for the defense to be as good as last year's, that's kind of on you. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee that's not going to happen. We have at least three guys on the defense that are going to get drafted, um, and then probably a couple more are going to get camp invites. Most teams can't replace that level of uh, talent on one side of the ball. Yeah, everyone talks about the the three guys in the secondary because they went to the NFL Combine and have a bright future, right? But I haven't heard Jimmy Gilbert's name brought up enough in terms of how much you're really going to miss there. I think that's the player you miss most in terms of not being able to replace what he did. Yeah, I mean he's a pure pass rusher, and there's nobody on the team this upcoming year that I can that I would say is likely to have ten sacks. So. Um, from that perspective, he's, it's definitely going to be difficult to replace him. He obviously had a huge senior season. And then all Bodie as well. I mean, just I mean, he was the leader of that defense in many ways last year, just all over the middle of the field making big-time special plays. Brian Moeller was out the spring game with a minor hamstring injury. I was keen in on Evan White a lot in that buff linebacker role. I don't know if you – again, I don't – it's everything with the spring game you don't want to overanalyze, but maybe they'll try to bring a lot of pressure from that position to kind of make up for it. It seemed like they were kind of doing that throughout the spring game. Yeah, they did it last year as well. I mean, Muller is a guy who does get after the quarterback a little bit. Um, they seem to like to do it from the inside backer position as well, so maybe a Drew Lewis type uh, will come in and be expected to rush the passer a little bit as well. And then I think NJ Follow is going to be a guy that gets after the quarterback a little bit. C. Barnine asked, did you see any improvement in the special teams where do you expect, excuse me, the biggest special teams improvement for next season? The pluses appear to be talented players seem to want to play on special teams in the addition of Ross Ellis to the coaching staff. The minuses appear to be that Chris Graham is still inconsistent. Davis Price did not attempt any field goals in the spring game. And the question marks are the Aussie kicker and Alex Kinney. Well, he kind of almost uh, broke down his own question there. Um, <laughs> yeah, the problem with uh, special teams analysts, Analysis. I'm sorry. After uh, a spring, is that they don't do a whole lot of special teams. No, I don't even, did they even punt? They did punt. Uh, yeah, they they did punt stuff, but just 
feeling it and not right. setting up the coverages. Um, and then they did place kicking and try to put as much pressure on those guys. And to his point, Chris Graham is still inconsistent. So that's your biggest takeaway. Uh, it's it's pretty clear that they brought in James Stefano to be their starting place kicker going forward. Let's just uh, score touchdowns. And then we won't have to worry about it. <laughs> that, that's the best way I can put it right now. I mean, I don't feel great about it. Kenny's got to be a lot better this year as well. He definitely took a big step back last year. That was really disappointing. You know, in the return game, I feel pretty confident. But, you know, you got to hit some field goals and you got to be able to punt the ball, switch the field on occasion as well. And I, I don't feel good about those things right now. Have they officially said that Ross Ellis, I don't think they've officially said that he's special teams coordinator, but they've kind of intimated that he's going to be running that from what reading between the lines? Yeah, we haven't heard anything official on that front, but I don't know. It's one of those things that it's hard to really tell on special teams until you're in practice, and then you can kind of see how everything operates there. So we're going to have a long wait till fall camp. Major Buff had this to say. We learned last week about the addition of a kicker to the 2017 class. Any other possible late additions you can project, late qualifiers or grad transfers. On a related note, you often hear about attrition after spring ball as players may realize they are further down the depth chart than they would like. Any whispers about possible attrition? So they're at 88 scholarships following the signing of James Stefano. That's a great number to be at this time of year. You don't want to fall below that 85 number too far before camp, knowing that uh, you want to be as close to that full strength number as possible. But you also, I don't think at this point can really sign anybody else. I think no, because you don't want you don't want more than three players to yeah, leave this team. Yeah, you want to know if there's any rumored attrition. Well, I mean, three guys have to leave, so yeah. so you can pretty much guarantee that somewhere along the way, that's how it's going to play out. Um, I, I'm not really going to name kids, you know. I mean, it's, well, I don't want to have favorites in terms of people right. leaving the program necessarily, but yeah, I mean, three guys are going to be gone. You could usually, in the last decade or so, look at the eligibility chart and go. This player, this player, this player probably should just move on. There's not a whole lot of that right now. No, there's definitely not. I mean, and the ones that you would even think about are talented enough players. I mean, I'm sure a wide receiver probably is going to end up leaving. Who is it going to be? Who knows? But there's just not enough playing time. So one of those guys, I'm sure, is going to be like, okay, I need to go play somewhere else. And But pretty much everybody on the wide receiver depth chart could play for this team three or four years ago. Yeah. But, yeah, there will be three guys. I have not heard any whispers. Um, but, uh, and honestly, I, I think the players might have an idea after spring ball. But in terms of us actually finding out the attrition, that's usually not until the summertime. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And usually, you know, I feel like it's always a lineman. We've had a couple of those already. But, I mean, that's a lot of punishment to take if you find yourself in a position where you're just not going to see the field. So it just seems like that's what one of those guys usually – uh, decides to do something else. But, I mean, who knows? Buff in D.C. had this question. What's the interest like from recruits this year compared to last year at this time? Do you get the sense that some of them think last year was a fluke compared to the past decade of futility? And Mike McIntyre will need another good season to show things have turned around? You know, in terms of high school recruits, I mean, their memory is... is not as short as a goldfish, but it's pretty short. <laughs> you know, it's like when they were really struggling and people brought up the 1990 National Championship, it's like, man, so these kids weren't even born then. It's nice to have, don't get me wrong, you want tradition, but that's not any reason a kid's going to pick. 
they're looking at yeah, the ten- we're coming up on thirty years ago. Yes, yeah. these kids don't honestly; they just don't care. But they they care about the ten wins last year right. for, for without question. Uh, I, I don't think you're giving kids too much credit if they're analyzing whether it was a fluke or not. And here's the thing. They can't sign until February, so they're going to find out if it was before they – they might right. verbally commit. And we saw last year these guys were getting poached or a lot of teams were trying to poach even more than they were able to. Had they struggled last year, they wouldn't have gotten most of those kids that they ended up signing. So a lot of these early commits, yeah, they're going to have to back it up, not with the 10-win season necessarily, but they need to go to a bowl game again in 2017. Yeah. I think that's a pretty reasonable expectation, whether it's six wins or eight wins or whatever. Uh, I mean, no one's going to be like, wow, you guys are scrubs if you're going to a bowl game. So uh, you got, you kind of have to keep that momentum a little bit. I mean, everyone knows we're losing a ton off of our defense. Um, you know, that's just how programs go. We're not USU, you know what I mean? We're not Alabama. You know, most teams aren't going to win 10 years or 10 games back-to-back years. That's just not how it works. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, in terms of kids having interest in us at this point, I'd have to go back and look at when kids last year were committed. I think we have earlier commits now than we did last year. I feel like most of the commits came in the June-July time frame, right around camp time when people are out here for Under the Lights, um, you know, for those summer camps that they always do. I feel like a lot of the commits we saw were from that middle yeah. of the summer timeline. It's definitely the interest from the in-state kids is definitely picked up this year compared to last year. There were, even though there weren't as many early commits last year in terms of guys that were committing uh, before the spring evaluation period, there was a lot of momentum with recruiting this time a year ago, especially with those Texas kids. And obviously Darren Cheverini coming in and really injecting this program with a lot of energy had this program recruiting better than it probably should have a year ago, to be honest with you. And now that was the kind of the time where the facilities had been completed and it was not showing blueprints. It wasn't showing this vision of things. It was showing these kids the actual building and its functionality. So that was a big part of it last year. I would say with the other state kids, it seems pretty comparable to the way it was a year ago at this time. And we'll see. I mean, the, the junior day they're going to have next month will be big. And that barbecue event they did... Last July resulted in a lot of commits. They're doing that again this year for the third year in a row. Those are some of the, the events where you see a lot of the interest picking up. Uh, silver and gold must be bought. Asked, when will the Title IX investigation be completed and what findings do you expect? What do you think will be the outcome of the Tumpkin trial? So with the uh, investigation, right now the lawyers are expected to present their report in about a week to a week and a half from right now. Now that timeline has changed already a couple times, so definitely don't hold me to that. In terms of what findings do you expect? I have no idea. I don't know what what went on with this investigation. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people. I've even talked to jo- the the victim in the Joe Tumpkin trial. I've talked to a lot of people and the bottom line from what I feel like is that yes, you didn't do everything perfectly. They've even admitted that. But the, the Title IX folks didn't do everything perfectly either. They did not properly train those guys. Yes, they're mandated reporters. It's expected that they go to the Office of Inequity and Compliance. But if you have not been trained that that's what you have to do since 2012, you're a football coach. You go to your superior. You're an athletic director. You go to your superior. You think you're doing the right thing. So there's a lot of layers to this story. And again, there's a lot of people who didn't handle it perfectly, but it was handled well enough to, to where it's not a scandal. I would be very surprised 
if there are people fired because of this situation. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, on both sides of the argument, yes, we didn't handle things perfectly. Yes, there are things that could have been done differently. Yes, there should have been more training involved. Yes, people should have known what to do. But I don't think anyone was malicious in intent, which is the important part of what we're talking about here. McIntyre wasn't trying to keep Tumpkin's job. He wasn't trying to slip this under the rug so that nobody ever found out about it. That's that wasn't the intention of this entire thing. So I think people are, you know, basically what's going to come out of this is you should have handled it better. But at the end of the day, you handled it as quickly as possible. From beyond that point, um, there's, you know, no one was hiding anything. They got they fired the guys about as quickly as you could. So I don't, I don't see any further punishment being issued. Yeah. Get McIntyre that extension, get that through the, the Board of Regents, get that vote approved so we can kind of move on mm-hmm. because uh, that, that's kind of where we're at. In terms of the Tumpkin trial, I mean, I don't have enough of a legal background to have an, uh, a, a take here, but Joe Tumpkin's obviously going to have to do a lot of things uh, before ever coaching a football game again, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be surprised if he's back in the football ranks at any point. So, Scotch682 asked, uh, here's the transition, Tyler. He asked, can you take a way too early look at the 2017-18 men's basketball season? And is there any early recruiting news? Uh, recruiting with basketball is so different than football in terms of timelines because... We already know who's coming, yeah. You already know who's coming, but... Uh, they're still. I think he's asking for early recruiting news for for next year's class. But they're actually they've offered the Michigan point guard Jermaine Jackson Jr. And then I saw a report just the other day where that uh, big man from Arizona, Malik Ondigo, has Colorado in his top five. Says they're still recruiting him heavily. So where do these scholarships come from? We don't know. But they're still looking at 2017 kids at this point. Yeah, um, yeah, Ondigo's probably a big time need for this program right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, someone's going to have to leave in order for that to take place. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, 2017, 2018, uh, I, mean, I talked about before the year, I had some concerns that I wish I had <laughs> spoken on a little bit more in hindsight. Uh, so I think I'm going to do that this year and just say that typically college basketball teams are not good if they don't have good guard play and they don't have good bigs. Next year's team doesn't have either of those things. That doesn't bode well for me. Um, we'll see how the freshmen play. I mean, even if they're good, they're not going to replace Derek White. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be one of those situations where it's probably a rebuilding year. Honestly, that's easier for me, though, because we know going in right. there's going to be some youth. You have some issues on this team. But we really like the freshmen coming in. So even if they play well and the team is not great, I think down the line you have to feel good about where the program is going. Um you can look through any college program you want. I mean, there's just down years in college basketball. It's very rare for a team to make the tournament four or five years in a row. Uh, we're kind of in that little spell right now. Uh, at the end of the day, it's we were really panicked about this is Tad Boyle's second worst team this past year. They won 19 games and made the NIT. That says a lot about where he's taken this program since he got here. So I know that's not good enough for a lot of people, but you weren't a basketball fan when this team was terrible. You were only a basketball fan when this team was good. So... I don't really know how to like explain to you how bad it used to be, but it just doesn't. You, you just don't become Kansas overnight. That's not how it works. And I think a lot of CU fans would be okay with a semi-rebuilding year as long as the body language, the chemistry, 
And just you don't have the off the court issues that Bryce Peters figures it out and comes back mm-hmm. and keeps his head on straight. I think that's what drove people craziest. And that you know picture of Xavier Johnson and Wesley Gordon at the end of the Cal game, right. that just drives people crazy. Things like that, you just need to have a, a more likable team on the court. And any chance of them making the NCAA tournament would be all the stars aligning with this this group. You'd have to have amazing player development in the offseason. You'd have to have those freshmen come in and ready to be, be better than people expect them to be the first year. Yeah, I mean, you need George King to be dialed in for 100% of the games, which we haven't seen from him in his career. He took a big step back this year. Torrey Miller's going to have to really develop, especially defensively. Dom Collier's going to have to be fully healthy, take more shots on this team. He's got to shoot the ball more, in my opinion. Uh, Naimon Wright's got to come in and be not Derek White, but he's got to be probably our leading scorer next to George maybe. And then obviously two or three of the freshmen need to start and be good uh, for that probably to happen this upcoming year. That's pretty unlikely. I will say the Pac-12 is going to be pretty down next year, so you could still find ourselves kind of in the middle of the pack. But overall, the league is going to be struggling next year for sure. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think the key is Bryce Peters and just yeah. it, can he figure it out and be mature because uh, he's certainly got the talent and the charisma to be a guy that, frankly, would be a big-time fan favorite right, if, he yeah, wants it to, if he wants to be that. He's fun to watch. I mean, and most people thought Tom Sackley was fun to watch in his freshman year. But at some point, what the hell to, happened there, Tom? You have to make a shot. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, he still pushes the pace. He still does things that make you say, wow, you know, there's something there. But if you shoot 5% from three, it just doesn't matter. Can you think of a guy that's regressed – in his career at CU more than him in, in just a one year? I mean, Fortune was worse from year to year, oh, really? okay. honestly. Yeah, I would say. I mean, he was much better than Akizili as a junior. And as a senior year, he was basically almost as unplayable at times. So, um, yeah, those those two are frustrating. I mean, honestly, I think people are just going to kind of be relieved to be done with this era of Xavier Johnson and Wes Gordon. Um, there's different in many ways, but, I mean, X obviously had a good year on the court, but he's just frustrating off the court. And then Wes... You just never saw anything emotionally from him. It's just hard to watch him play because whether he's playing well or playing poorly, he just doesn't seem to really get affected by anything or care with what's going on. So it, it, he's a little bit frustrating to watch at times, even though obviously it, it, he was also one of our better players for a good portion of his four years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be uh, – you're going to watch a young team next year. So for, for me, that's exciting because the expectations are lower and we get to see if we can build this program up again. Of course, the 2016-17 season ended in Orlando as Colorado lost to UCF 79-74 in the first round of the NIT, and it was kind of a microcosm of the season. Uh, just the inconsistency while Derek White is playing amazing basketball, 30 points, 6 assists, 6 rebounds, 2 blocks, played all 40 minutes in his last game as a buff. You had to stream it if you wanted to see his last game as a buff, but man, that guy... I've never seen a player get as many threads just feeling bad for him as, as Derek White had this year. The, the, the biggest topic of the whole season was people just feeling bad for I mean, him. People are right, though. I mean, what a team guy, and to just have everybody else around him just not show up for his lone year on campus has got to be extremely frustrating. And he's one of the most talented kids. I've watched play basketball at Colorado in my time, being a fan. Uh, I will still have nightmares about him missing Josh Scott by a year. It would have been something incredible to watch them play together. So when did you finally go, okay, Derek White is is an NBA talent? 
It was, um, late, it was late during the Pac-12 yeah. tournament, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that was when I finally admitted it to myself. But there was – I actually don't remember what game it was. But there was one game I was watching. It was a home game. And I was just sitting there. I'm just like, I'm watching this dude make NBA plays. And that's kind of the, – the thing to me is, like, did, did can you make NBA plays on a college basketball court? And time and time again, I was like, huh, okay. There's one. There's two. And it's like, okay, he's kind of similar. He's not as great athletically as you'd like to see. And then all of a sudden, he's dunking on guys. And all of a sudden, he's blocking shots all over the court. He's got great timing. And you start to realize, despite the fact that he's 23 and that Kyrie Irving is like 14 months older than him. So, I mean, that's that's people forget about that, about the NBA. I mean, there are guys who are all-stars at age 19, and Derek White's going to be 23 by the time he gets in. But I hope someone gives him a chance, man, because – People told him he wasn't going to be able to transition to the D1 game, and he was one of the best players in the country analytically this year. So I hope someone gives him a shot because I think he can make a roster. He was a lot better defensively than people gave him credit for. Uh, he was a lot better attacking the rim than people gave him credit for. And it's, by the end of the year, he shot 39%, and a lot of people were concerned he couldn't shoot either So uh, from distance. So he's he's got all the tools. I don't think he's going to wow you in any one category, but I think he deserves a shot for sure at this point. Do you think he is, at this point, the most likely scenario is that he's a, a mid to late second round pick? Uh, no, I'd say the most likely scenario is that he goes undrafted and gets okay. a camp invite. But, yeah, I mean, I... Well, think- the, the summer league now is great because those guys always get an opportunity. I know Josh Scott didn't really get the minutes that mm-hmm. maybe some people wanted him to have, but uh, for a guy like Derek White, he's going to get on a summer league team and be able to play. So. Yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll play. I mean, Josh, the thing about Josh is he's... The big man thing is... There just aren't that many in the NBA now. There are obviously a lot more guards than there are bigs. Um, but, yeah, my, my only concern with him getting drafted is that the NBA is dumb and they take a bunch of European guys that they have no interest in actually playing in the NBA in the second round. If they strictly took the 60 best players available to them, Derek White would get drafted. But that's not how it works. You know, Isaiah Thomas was literally the last 60, pick of yeah. the yeah. No, I mean, it can't happen. Jimmy Butler was a second-round pick. Jay Crowder as well. And there are guys who have carved out really good NBA careers, even all stars. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's got a hill to climb. But I think, I mean, he's definitely proven about everybody wrong that you could so far. I mean, his senior year was just absolutely incredible. My guess is since the season ended, he's probably in a gym behind that NBA three point arc, mm-hmm. getting that shot down. Because if he is going to have a chance to stay in the league, he's got to be consistent shooting that ball right. from from that range. Uh, we talked about earlier, it's hard to speculate. Uh, we hate to speculate, but you have to assume there's going to be some attrition um, mm-hmm. there. And did, Would you expect uh, just one player probably to leave the program? I mean, yeah. you want most guys back. I mean, as, as disappointing as this year was. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> most guys are going to come back. There's not really a logjam issue that you had in previous years, which sent Jerron Hopkins and Trayshawn Fletcher elsewhere. Jerron uh, Hopkins <laughs> probably would have helped this team a lot this year defensively, sadly. Um yeah, I mean, I think some of the guys, I don't know. I mean, again, not to name names, but there are some guys who didn't play a whole lot of snap, uh, a whole lot of minutes this year uh, that might be moving on. We'll see how it goes. I mean, there could be some guys unhappy, and then hopefully Bryce Peters, you know, is back as well. I mean, getting suspended three times, I would say most of the time those guys don't return. But that doesn't, you know, looking at it, it doesn't seem like that's the way it's going to go. It seems like he's going to return, but I guess it couldn't really be a surprise at this point. And every four years, you can take a college basketball team overseas uh, during the summer. 
you get uh, some scrimmages in against uh, some semi-professional teams or professional teams. I don't know how that all works, but uh, you get extra practices as well. And so Tad Boyle saw this year's uh, upcoming team as needing that extra uh, work in the summer, and, and certainly that, that was pretty good, well-timed by him. Uh, so they'll get practices in August. They'll go over to Europe and play. It seemed to really help the team, the last team they, they sent over there. And it helped us because we got to watch one of the best announcing moments in oh, it was amazing. <laughs> of all time. That guy. I hope he's back again. That was so much fun. <laughs> Jelly! <laughs> all right. Uh, so of the freshmen coming in, the, the guys we know that are coming on campus, Deshaun Schwartz had an amazing season, senior year down there in Colorado Springs. Tyler Bay has coming in on the wing. And then, of course, Evan Batty, who was not eligible to mm-hmm. play, not by his own fault, but I think it was an age restriction, right? Yeah, he held himself back at some point, and so they declared him ineligible. It was, it was kind of one of those sketchy high school decisions that they make that's really yeah. dumb. Like, the whole point of this is for high school kids to have fun, man. Like, why... Well, those rules are in place for people not to exploit them. In that situation, obviously, that wasn't the case. Right. I mean, it's, I just play. feel like it's yeah, it's pretty obvious when someone is trying to exploit the rules. Like you can just use your best judgment to determine right. that. But yeah, so I mean, it's going to suck for him because he hasn't played on the court in a year in in, in you know real life basketball games. But uh, we'll see how ready he is. Seems like he's staying in pretty good shape, uh, even losing a little bit of weight throughout that time, and it's going to help with his leadership too. So from that perspective, it's awesome. Deshaun Schwartz, I expect to come in and possibly start right away. Uh, he's a little bit bigger than I thought. He was at one of the last games, and he's as tall, if not a little bit taller than me. Um, Got to gain a little bit of size, but he's just really naturally skilled, man. And Tyler Bay, uh, I think he's going to help you defensively right away. We'll see how ready he is on the other end of the court, but he has a chance to be really, really special with a few years of development as well. Ever since Robertson left... You've just seen this frustration with Tad Boyle. Yeah. He wants that guy on his team that he can say, look, go." he points to the other sideline to the best player on the perimeter and say, lock him down. And they have not had that guy since then. I th- it, maybe that's a lot to put on Tyler Bay as a true freshman, but I think it, at some point, and probably early on as an underclassman in his career, that he's going to be that guy, I think. Yeah, that is the expectation. That's why they brought him here. I think Bryce Peters um, was a little fidgety defensively this year, but he has the athleticism to maybe get there as well. He seems to have the want to defensively, which is nice. Um, so if he can stay on the court, I think maybe them together could be a lot of fun to watch. He's a freak athlete, and it seems like he does want, he does want to lock down on that end. So it's just going to be a focus thing for him. All right, we will get more into uh, basketball topics as we move forward and uh, we'll be back with some shows periodically as kind of news trickles out this off season but uh, it's kind of crazy with this early spring ball uh, how long we have until that first football game it's we're probably going to get sick of hearing ourselves talk at some point during this this long stretch yeah we got basically six months how me and you just basically have to look forward to the summer camps which i actually had a lot of fun at those the last two years yeah That'll kind of break it up for us a little bit, but we don't get to watch this football team actually do anything for five months almost, so it's going to be a long break for sure. A lot of golf. A lot of golf. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks to all of you for tuning in. We'll be back again sometime soon with a new show.